All right. Well, today's uh, scripture is going to be from uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. We're going to be reading this in the ESV, and so we want to encourage you to find the scripture in your pew Bibles, or if you have a Bible app or brought your own Bible. Um, and uh, we're going to be doing an alternate reading, which means that I'll read the first verse. It's only two verses, so everyone will respond with the verse after that. And so if you could please stand as able once you're ready to read the scripture. Again, it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, we are beginning our uh, our summer theme. I, I kind of think of it more as a theme than a sermon series, uh, where we're going to be talking about practical things. I know that we spent a lot of the year, and we have been the last few years, trying to describe for you what the kingdom of God is. How do we live into that? And I think for a lot of people, that can be a little bit abstract. And uh, being at the summer, um, that maybe we can take some liberties, if you would permit me, uh, to, you know, definitely be biblical, but I want to speak about very practical matters, right? Uh, how do we actually practice this? How do we actually live into this? And so, um, yeah, over the, the next few weeks, uh, that's really what we're going to be talking about. And so I thought that if we're talking about practical matters, uh, that in that word is the word practice. So we're going to be talking about practice today. And so uh, just as a, a way of introduction into a sermon about practice and commitment, um, I want to talk to you about one of the most famous kind of sport rants, uh, rants in sports. Um, so the, the, the MCKC Youth Camp that uh, a, a lot of folks are going on this week, um, the theme is trust the process. And that came from, uh, it, it's, it's like kind of the 76ers, like unofficial motto, the Philadelphia 76ers, NBA, their NBA basketball team. And, uh, David Beck, uh, who's a big Philly sports fan, just happens to be the, the director of Mickey. And so I don't know if it's a coincidence. I mean, maybe it's just sheer coincidence that their theme is trust the process. But I, I wanted to, uh, show you a, uh, it, it is, um, a, a clip from another Philadelphia, it was actually a Philadelphia 76er, but this was from 2002. This is Allen Iverson. This is one of the most famous rants in sports history, and it's kind of a, a funny thing, uh, but let, let's take a look at this. It's about a, a minute and a half. <laughs> to sum it it's easy to sum it up when you just talk about practice we sitting here i supposed to be the franchise player and we're in here talking about practice i mean listen we're talking about practice not a game not a game not a game we're talking about practice not a game not 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 the game that i go out there and, and die for and play every game like it's my last not the game 
We're talking about practice, man. I mean, how silly is that, man? We're talking about practice. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know I'm supposed to lead by example. I know that. And I'm not I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we're talking about practice, man. What are we talking about? <laughs> practice? We're talking about practice, man. <laughs> We're talking about practice. We're talking about practice. We ain't talking about the game. We're talking about practice, man. When you come in the arena and you see me play, you see me play, don't you? Absolutely. You see me give everything I got, right? Absolutely. But we talking about practice right now. We talking about practice. Man, I look, I hear you. I, it's funny to me, too. I mean, it's strange. It's strange to me too. But we talking about practice, man. We're not even talking about the game, the actual game, when it matters. We talking about practice. Alan, is it possible, though, that from where he's coming from? So I actually wanted to title this sermon. We're talking about practice. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of intense. We're talk, 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 talking about practice, practice, practice. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, th- this is kind of one of the more famous uh, rants in-, in sports history, as I mentioned. And so the context, as you probably could guess, is that Allen Iverson, who was the franchise player for the 76ers, had missed practice, right? And so, but uh, a lot of times, uh, it, well, it, it, this kind of went down in history because, I mean, he said the word practice 22 times in this <laughs> minute and a half clip. Right. And, uh, you know, some people wondered, like, what the heck was going on here? You know, does he really not want to practice? And, and to be honest, that's oftentimes the narrative uh, for Allen Iverson uh, is that people would say, well, you know what? He was a really good player, but he could have been great if he liked practice. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, just to be fair to Allen Iverson, uh, I read the kind of background about the story is that um, he was very disgruntled because uh, this was towards the end of his time in Philadelphia, and they were talking about trading him. And so he was very, very kind of disgruntled. And not only that, but seven months earlier, his best friend uh, was murdered. And the, the, the man that was accused of uh, murdering him, the trial actually started the morning after this press conference that you just saw. And so there was a lot on his mind, and he just wasn't in a, a good frame of mind, and so he skipped practice, right? And so when he walks in, they're talking about practice, and he fixates on that word. And so, you know, Alan Iverson, he looks back on that because that's kind of what he's remembered for, <laughs> that, that people just on the street, they're like, hey, we're talking about practice, right? And, and he, like, regrets it. And he's like, you know, to be honest, I was so mad. It could have been anything. If you had said broccoli, I would have been like, why are we talking about broccoli? We're talking about broccoli, you know? He just got fixated on that word, and he just just couldn't stop, you know? But for many of us, uh, uh, part of the, the kind of <laughs> the, the interesting thing about this clip for us is I think for many of us, we kind of echo what Allen Iverson was feeling in sometimes where – I don't think there's a lot of people who really like practice. Do you like practice? At least for me, when I think of the word practice, I think about like when I was learning piano, you know, and just hearing that kind of like nagging voice of my mom, like, you got to practice, you got to practice, right? And I, I didn't really want to hear it. I wanted to go to my mom and be like, are we talking about practice? You know, <laughs> it was, it was like fingers on a chalkboard in many cases. You know, a lot of us, we, we don't like that word practice, but this is the thing. 
if we want to know how to practice life, because that's what the word practice means. It means how to actually do something, right? That's why the, 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 the roots for practice and practical are the same. It just means you're doing something. Practice has become the thing that you do again and again and again and again, right? But it just means you're actually doing it. Our faith, Christianity, for many people, when we talk about spiritual things, we, we tend to think of spiritual things as being different than physical things. And so spiritual things sometimes don't feel like things that we actually do. Right, And so that's one of the criticisms of faith for many people is that we don't know how to actually practice our faith. Right? And, and that word practice, I want it to not be a bad word. Right? I don't want it to be something that we're afraid of. And so we are going to talk about practice today. And let's take a look at this passage. It does use the word practice in here. It's a very short passage. Um, but I think it, 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 there's some very powerful things in this that talk about how we actually live out this spiritual life, uh, the kingdom life that we've been talking about this, this, this whole year, basically. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice, there's that word, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So in other words, actually live out the things that you say you believe, right? We know this is very important because Jesus talks about this. He talks about it a lot, right? Do you guys remember the passage uh, in Matthew where Jesus is talking about um, what it means to build your house on a firm foundation, on solid rock? Do you guys remember that? What, what, what does it mean to build your house, your life, on a solid foundation, right? Not on sand where it's going to shift around or where it's going to sink or it's going to fall and just your house is going to be ruined, but solid rock. So that house can withstand the winds, right? That it can withstand the tremors, you know, a minor earthquake. It's going to still stay standing. If you go up and you're just like, right? It's not going to fall apart, right? It's not going to fall apart, but from the quakes of life that Jesus says what it means to build your house on the firm foundation is to actually do the things that he taught us, to put them into, can I hear that word? Practice. Yeah, practice, to actually do it, right? Now, brothers and sisters, what do we do? How do we do it? Where do we go about it? Where do we start? For many of us, this is the hard thing. In the word uh, practical, I think for many people, we want to know where do we start? How do we become kingdom people? How do we become people who are like Jesus? And so I just want to kind of set that out there as kind of a the, the general goal, right? Like, I mean, I preach on this a lot, what it means to live in the kingdom, what it means to be kind of a kingdom person. But let's just very generally just use this as our working definition of what our goal is, to be like Jesus, right? To love like Jesus, to have the character of Jesus. I think that's our goal. But for many people, we're not really sure where we're going. We're not really sure what we are living into. And so um, in this world, you can live out of many different kingdoms, out of many different environments. And this is very, very practical. Uh, for, for many of us, when we hear the word kingdom of God, we think of it as something that is not present. 
We think that it's something that happens in the future. We think that it is something that happens after you die. But that is not the way that Jesus talks about the kingdom. He talks about the kingdom being here, right? That's the good news. I have come to declare the good news, it says in the beginning of the Gospels, right? Jesus' mission statement. The kingdom of God is at hand. And what that word means in Greek means it's happened. It's already here. It's already arriving, right? You don't have to wait until you die. This is probably the main reason why our faith seems so impractical. Why it doesn't make an impact is because we think all the good stuff comes after you die. In in other words, after your life. So the kingdom of God is not about your life, right? But if the kingdom of God is supposed to be here, then it should make an impact on your life now. That's what we want. It's a different kind of atmosphere. And brothers and sisters, what kind of atmosphere is Paul talking about here? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But for many of us, we are not thinking about these things. You know what we're thinking about? We're thinking about the things that make us afraid. We're thinking about scarcity. We're thinking about there's not enough. There's not enough time. There's not enough money, right? That, that we're thinking about catastrophes. We're thinking about all the things that can go wrong, right? And that's where your headspace is. That's where your mind and your body and your nervous system is. That has very practical implications. If you are living in a world, in a universe, in a kingdom where you are always afraid, where there's never enough, right? Where you're anxious, where you're worried about the other shoe dropping, don't you think that will affect how you live in this world? You're going to live scared, right? You're going to live for survival. That's going to be the kind of way that you live, right? And so, brothers and sisters, for us to figure out what do we practice, well, we have to get into the headspace of the kingdom. So uh, I want to give you three very practical ways that we can live uh, to try to become more like Jesus, practically, right? How do we actually practice this? So the first thing that that I want to uh, mention is identify your values and live in alignment with them. This is so important, brothers and sisters. This is uh, where many of us need to be. When Paul is talking about, think about the things that are good and worthy, he's not just saying like, like, just think about it in passing. What he's telling you is to really Think about those things in terms of, you know, is this something that is worthy, true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent to you and objectively, right? It's not just something like, oh, that would be nice. But do you really believe that these things are good? So let me just, you know, bring it back to sort of, uh, yeah, I, I said it would be practical, right? Um, what we're talking about here, trying to be like Jesus. Is that your value? Is that what you really want? Because what life is all about, I think what life is all about, is trying to live in, a, in, in agreement, in alignment with what your true values are. 
And when you do that, there is this beautiful kind of uh, just, just it, it's like like a, a magical thing. I mean, it, it's like everything will conspire to bring you to that thing. Everything will feel right. You'll feel energized. You, you, you'll, you'll feel alive when you are living in alignment with your values. And when you're not living in alignment with your values, man, it is it, it, it starts to kill you inside, right? You, you start to lose energy. It's very draining to not live in alignment with your values, right? So, for, for instance, just to give an example of this, let's say that you are somebody who says you are honest. That's a value for you, right? You're like, I'm an honest person. But in your job, they teach you to uh, call clients or whatever, and you have to tell them little white lies. It's not exactly like a bold-faced lie, but you kind of like are not telling the whole truth. And so every day, you have to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning and, and drive through 45 minutes of traffic and be at your job for eight hours a day lying to people. And your one of your you know true values, actual values, is that you want to be an honest person. How is that going to make you feel? At the end of the day, do you think you're going to be like, yeah, <laughs> like I love my job. Oh my gosh, I feel so alive. No, of course not, right? Wouldn't you feel drained by that? That every time that, that you, you get on the phone and, and you got to tell somebody that half truth, you know, a little part of you dies, right? A little part of you just, just it, it's, it, there's something within you that screams, no, no, this is not me. This is not the way that I want to be. It's extremely draining. And there's so many people, I think, who maybe not as an extreme or cut and dry case of this, but in many ways, there are a lot of people who are not living in, in agreement, in alignment with their values every day. And so we live burnt out. We're tired. We're exhausted. Right? For many of us, we're like, what, what are we doing? Now, what is my job about? I mean, I'm not just talking about jobs here, but in anything, right? Now, on the flip side, if you were able to live in accordance with your values, right? You know, let, let's say your value, one of your values is to help people. And you are in a job where you help people, right? And then, you know, you get off the phone with somebody or you're with a client or whatever, and you look at that person and they don't even need to say it. But you look in their eyes and you know that their life is a little bit better because of what you did. And that is one of your highest values, is to help people. How does that make you feel? Can you imagine? Even if your job is quote-unquote tiring, even if you have expended a lot of energy, don't you go home at night and you're grateful. You're tired, but it's a good tired. You wake up the next day and you're ready to go again. Why? Because you're living in alignment. You're living as an integrated person. You are living wholehearted. And, and you say to people about your job, you're like, man, I love my job. I love my job. Why? I mean, not because it's easy. It might be a very difficult job. But because you are living in alignment. 
And so when we talk about, think about these things, think, think about these things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely. I know it sounds like such a, a, a you know, very current word to use the word values. We want to be value driven. But this is Paul 2,000 years ago talking about this, right? Think about the things that are actually true, the things that are actually good, the things that we should be living for. In other words, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It is the world as it should be. Isn't that where all our values should lie, right? A place where we live in unity, a place where we live in love, where we, a place where we live in safety, a place where people are blessed, where people are unified, not divided, right? And all the stuff that we're talking about in this world, right, all the stuff that is really bad and negative and destructive, it's when we are not living here, right? When we are living according to fear, and that's the world you live in. You're afraid. You're thinking that you don't have enough. And so you're not living out of your values. You're reacting based on what your nervous system is telling you that you need to do for survival. Sometimes you're going to live there, brothers and sisters. But if you want to thrive, if you really want to live a life that fills your cup, that is kind of overflowing with goodness, you can't live there forever. And many of you, many of us, brothers and sisters, are living there almost all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where you're just reacting to life. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm just overwhelmed. I just got to do stuff. Right? You go to work and you, you probably stayed up late because you're burnt out, right? And, and you're not satisfied at your job or whatever. There's, you know, some dispute with a coworker. There's something going on that is not in alignment with your values. And so you're worn out. And, and you just try to cope with it. You self-medicate, whatever. You, you, you stay up late watching Netflix, right? And then so you wake up late, and now you're just rushing out the door. You know, you, you're just trying to get to school, just trying to get to work, right? And, and you're, you're just in crisis mode. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get fired. There's no alignment there, right? We're not living into our highest values there. So we got to figure out how do we get there? What are your highest values? What really do you want to live for? Who do you want to be in other words, right? And so one of the great ways that you can figure this out is not just talking in abstract, but to talk concretely. And so what Paul talks about is he, he talks about people, right? Look at people that you want to emulate. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is a really easy way to do this concretely, to not just think in terms of values, but to think in terms of the kind of person that you want to be. Is there somebody that you know that lives into their values? Is there somebody you know who has the kind of joy, who lives with the kind of meaning that you would like to see? And can you emulate that person? Live like them. Practice the way they practice. Do what they do. Brothers and sisters, I think this is what the church was supposed to be in many ways. I I think that we were supposed to have people that could mirror for you the kind of values that we wanted to live into, right? That, that, you know, we've been talking a lot about community the last couple weeks, but I think this is one of the, the most powerful purposes of the church, is there's supposed to be people that are around you that are a little bit further down the path than you, 
I'm not saying perfect, like they're saints and, you know, they're just one step from the throne of God, right? You may not get that. But some people who are just a little bit further down the road, right? Maybe for you, a value is to live in peace. And you know somebody at church or you've come across somebody who's just extraordinarily peaceful. Or somebody who doesn't get so offended so easily. You know that's a problem for you. You get offended by everything. You have a hard time forgiving, and there's somebody you know who's extremely forgiving. Now, I guarantee you, brothers and sisters, that that person was not born forgiving. Right? That that person wasn't born with just this, this amazing peace, and they never had anything that bothered them. I bet you, I bet you that that person learned and they probably learned through practice. There were practices that this person was doing that got them down the road, right? Brothers and sisters, we are built for this. We as human beings, we are built to mirror people, to learn from people, to emulate people, right? And so this is just the, the process of becoming human, is that if you have loving people that you're around, I know it's Father's Day today, right? If you have a loving father, loving parents, then you probably, in many ways, will become a loving person. If you're around hateful people, if you're around scared people, if you're around anxious people, you probably will become somewhat anxious, somewhat afraid, somewhat hateful, right? This is what we're wired for, and for many of us, and for a lot of our young people, for the for our youth group people, right? Um, now, this isn't just youth group, by the way. It's just our society. But... We're always looking for people. Who are we supposed to be looking up to? Who are we supposed to be emulating? And I think it's a sad state of affairs that in America today, we are obsessed with celebrity. You know why we're obsessed with celebrity, I think? It's because we have such poor models around us that will actually emulate the kind of life we're supposed to live. And so we look around and we're like, who are we supposed to look up to? Who are we supposed to be like? And the society is like, I present to you... I don't know, who, who, who's a famous person you want to emulate? Ninja, or I don't know. <laughs> it's that, that, that streamer, right, who plays video games. LeBron James, Steph Curry, right? And these people become what? What do we call famous people now? This is a kind of a buzzword. We call them influencers. Right? I heard Steph Curry, uh, who's a basketball player, that's what he's famous for, right? He's got a smooth, one of the best jump shots in the history of the NBA, right? It's so good. And this guy is producing a television show about miniature golf. What? Why does Steph Curry get to influence what I watch on my TV? Because he has a good jump shot, right? Who cares what Steph Curry thinks about entertainment? Why should I listen to that? You know, Steph Curry might like write a cookbook or something or write a book on how to be a good person. Right? Now, I'm not picking on Steph Curry because I actually think he is a pretty good person. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, do you see how our society, we just we, we latch on to people that seem to be worthy of praise for any reason, and we want to be like them. We're not even really sure why we're wired for it. We want to listen to what they do. I mean, uh, by the way, uh, uh, the marketing industry, they know this. And so what do they do to sell their products? They get a celebrity. They get a basketball star. They get an actor to tell you, I use Colgate toothpaste, right? I, you know, drink Sprite, Gatorade, 
don't you want to drink Sprite or Gatorade now? And we're like, I kind of do. I don't know why, <laughs> right? That, that there's celebrities that will get free products. They're, they'll just give them stuff. They're like, can, can you just wear my handbag? Can you wear my handbag? Why? Because they know that people want to emulate them, who want to be like them. So brothers and sisters, who are you emulating? Because it is wired in all of us. Are there saints? Are there people who are a little bit further down the road that you want to actually be like? And brothers and sisters who are a little bit further down the road, are we becoming the kind of people that our younger people will want to emulate? Ooh, I know, that seems like a lot of responsibility, right? But that's what the church is supposed to be, right? So are there people that you look at them and you see them and they have the values that they are actually living into? Maybe do something really weird, really radical. Talk to them. Ask them, how did you get to be like this? What are you doing that I'm not that has given you so much joy, right? And then what Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Um, the, 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 the second point is, uh, I'm going to illustrate this by the great Yoda, right? Commitment is doing, right? Not trying. So, so uh, you, you may not know where this, this gift begins, but it says, do or not do. There is no try. Do or do not. Sorry, that's how Yoda talks. Do or do not. There is no try. That's my best Yoda. I'm sorry. That's the best I can do. Uh, so do or do not. There is no try. What does that mean, brothers and sisters? What does that mean? Commitment is actually doing. What, what we're talking about in this, uh, uh, in, in this sermon today, it's kind of twofold. You got to practice but the only way you're going to actually practice is to commit. you got to commit, right? Which means you actually do it. I know that sounds so obvious that it's not even, it doesn't even seem worth saying. But in this society, not many of us actually do. We talk about stuff a lot. We like criticizing people who do stuff that we don't like, right? But actually doing stuff seems very risky. So let me give you an example. Has anyone ever asked you to do something that was kind of difficult? And you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I can, I can do this, or I'm not sure if I want to do this. So what do you do? You say this. You say, I'll try. I'll try. I had a friend of mine who, uh, he, he's like the, the older brother in his family, and his parents are getting older, and they just retired. And so his brother's younger, and he's kind of in between jobs. And so the older one has always been the responsible one. But they're in a place where his family's growing, and they're going through a lot of uh, uh, financial difficulties. And so he said to his younger brother, he's like, hey, I know you're in between jobs. I know you're going through a hard time. But in the next five years, I'm going to really need you to step up your help with mom and dad. You know, I'm, I'm going to really need you to pull your weight, because I can't do this on my own. Mom and dad are just not my mom and dad. They're your mom and dad. Right? So I'm going to need you to help. And so this is what his brother said. And he said that he didn't talk to his brother for two weeks after he said this. He was so mad. You know what he said? You know what his brother said, his younger brother? He said, I'll try. He's like, wrong answer, man. What do you mean you'll try? You'll try. What does try mean? Try lets you off the hook. Try says, if I do it, 
or don't do it. I can just say I try. Try just kind of covers it, right? You know, like you could actually not do something. You know, you, 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 like, like you say to someone, hey, did you do your homework? And you could just say, I'm trying. No, 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 I asked you, did you do your homework? No, 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 I'm trying, right? Like I'm thinking about it in my mind, you know, maybe in the next hour I'll do it, right? Trying is getting yourself off the hook, right? It's a way of talking about doing something when you're actually not doing anything, right? Now, don't get, get me wrong. Maybe trying is part of the process of doing, but trying is not the same as doing. I know it seems so obvious, but for my friend who has seen his brother continually just shirk responsibilities and be like, ah, older brother will do it. For him to hear his younger brother say, I'll try, was like his brother saying like, no, I won't. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. I'll try. Right? It's like maybe. I, I used to joke around that, you know, like Facebook events, you know, when, when people, like they give you three options. Yes. No, I'm going, I'm not going, or maybe. And, and in my mind, what I've learned from, you know, being in ministry for almost 20 years and organizing events for almost 20 years is maybe means no. That's what I've learned. I'm, I'll try means no, like most of the time. It's just a way of making it sound like maybe you'll do it, right? But so, so brothers and sisters, let, let's go, go and visit my friends, right? Let's kind of just jump into that relationship with the older brother and the younger brother. What do you think the younger brother could have said that would have been better than I'll try? What about this? I'll do my best. Now, maybe some people are like, Pastor Steve, this is semantics, right? You're just getting caught up with words. But let's think about it for a moment. What's the difference between I'll try and I'll do my best? I'll do my best is a promise of action. You will actually do it. I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do something. I'll actually step into the arena and help you with mom and dad. I'll actually commit money. I may not do it well, but I'll do my best. That's different than I'll try, isn't it? Do you see that? Brothers and sisters, what so much life, uh, what life is about is learning to actually do, learning to actually commit. And for many people, this is the problem. This is why many of us are so burnt out, is because we are not living as wholehearted people. I want to read for you a, a conversation uh, between um, two people. And so I, I thought this was kind of an interesting uh, conversation about burnout, right? Like, like many of us in this society, just like people are burnt out all the time, and um, so this is a, a conversation between brother uh, David Stendhal Rost, uh, who is kind of like a monk. Uh, he's in his 90s, and he was having a conversation uh, with Lynn Twist, who is a uh, this kind of entrepreneur and is really involved in a lot of social justice causes. And she's a very, very busy person, doing a lot of things where she's pouring out her heart. And someone was talking to them about burnout. And so this is a conversation between the two of them, and somebody asks this question uh, to both of them. You two are so busy with so many commitments. And Brother David, you're 90 now. How do you do it? You don't seem burned out at all. And so this is what Lynn Twist, this uh, uh, social justice advocate, said. I live what I call a committed life, 
where my commitments wake me up in the morning. They tell me what to wear, where to go, who to meet with, the highest commitments that I have. I don't have to make decisions. I just need to follow and be true to what I'm committed to. And it makes life so much more true, so much more fulfilling. It actually makes it easier in a way, but it also gives it such passion and life and vitality. The not committed life is an exhausting life. And so this is what Brother David says in response to that. He says, beautiful. I think this committedness also has to do with not getting burned out. Because when you're not committed, so much energy leaks into the question, should I or should I not? And it's wasted energy. But if you're committed, all the energy goes in that direction. Uh, Oh, sorry. All you need to do is the same thing that you are doing now, but wholeheartedly. And this wholeheartedness is with all that energy that comes up from that deep well within us. The heart is, so to say, the taproot of all our being, where intellect and will and emotions and body and mind and all is one. That is what we call the heart. Put all of that into what you're doing. I think that is a good recipe against burnout. So brothers and sisters, the committed life means this, that there is a switch that goes off within you that says, this is what I do. This is the problem with most of us, is that we are constantly asking ourselves this question, do I want to do this? David Stendhal Ross talked about that, right? That idea of should I do this or should I not do this? And that takes so much energy, right? That's what's killing us in many ways. Now, brothers and sisters, let me give you this example. Maybe for many of you, you know, going to school or going to work, it doesn't take much energy. But I will tell you, this one question will sap your energy. So I apologize to anyone who struggles with this tomorrow morning because of this question that I posed to you. But I'm going to try to give you the solution too. Uh, so when you get up in the morning and you go to work, right, for many of us, it's not a question. It's just what you do, right? No burnout there. This is what will cause burnout. This is what will kill you, this question. Do I really have to go to work? Do I want to go to work? Oh, my gosh, I have a few sick days, don't I? Do I really have to go to today? And then you start warring, and then you start battling, and you're like... Yeah, but if I use this sick day, then I'm not going to have a sick day for when I'm really sick. Oh, if I start this pattern, oh my gosh, there's somebody who's actually depending on me today. And then the whole ride to to work is going to be tormented, right? All of breakfast is going to be torment. All this energy is going to be spent trying to ask this question, do I want to go to work? For many of you, this is why you don't work out. (laughs) Because you're asking the question, do I want to work out? Should I work out? Do I really have to work out? This is why you don't pray, because you ask the question, do I want to pray? Should I pray? Do I have time to pray? Right? And brothers and sisters, these are the questions that kill us. Now, what if you knew that what you were doing is in alignment with your values of the person that you want to be? Some of you may notice, if you've been to LGM over the past few years, you may have noticed that I've lost a lot of weight. I don't say this to brag. Somebody posted on my Facebook, uh, because I posted like the one-year anniversary of when I started this crazy diet that I'm doing. And my my diet is basically I don't uh, eat any white pasta, white rice, or white bread. That's pretty much it. I stay away from sugar, but I still have desserts to celebrate. So I had a donut before service. Celebration, yay! Thank you, everyone. 
for helping Pastor Steve to eat a donut. But that, that's the main thing I do. I mean, I, I, I walk a lot. I don't do a lot of strenuous exercise. But over you know, the course of a year, I've lost about 20 pounds. My cholesterol in about five months went down over 60 points, which for those of you who don't know, that's a lot. It doesn't even go down that much with medication, right? And so somebody on my Facebook, they said, wow, Pastor Steve, you must have a lot of willpower. And honestly, my answer is no. It's not about willpower. Willpower is this. Every day, looking at the donut and saying, do I want to eat the donut or not eat the donut? Should I eat the donut? Am I going to pay for this donut later? But, oh, it looks so good. That takes a lot of willpower. Asking yourself that question all the time. Do I actually want to eat this donut? Oh, my gosh, that's agony. I couldn't do that. That takes way too much willpower. This doesn't take a lot of willpower. That switch that goes off within you that says, I don't eat the donut. That's just not what I do. I don't eat donuts. There's no decision-making in that. How did I get to that? I had to make a decision. That switch had to go off. That's what I call the commitment switch, right? And for, for prayer, it was the same thing for me. That uh, I used to go to the park, and so for many of you who know my spiritual practice, I go to the park, and I spend the first about 30 minutes just walking around very slowly in a contemplative state. And then I spend a, a good bit of time praying for people, doing intercessory prayer. And that's my practice. But this is what I used to do. I, go to the, I used to go to the park, and then I would walk around the park asking myself, do I want to pray yet? Do I feel like praying yet? You know what? I'm going to play some Pokemon. You know? I'm, I'm going to go for a little jog, right? And I could do that for two, three hours. And then like, well, got to go. Guess I didn't pray today, right? That question, do I want to pray? Do I feel like praying? is the wrong question. This is the right question. Who's the person you want to be? Who's the person you want to be? That's the question. So about a year from, I guess it was sometime in May, you can look back at my Facebook for those of you who are Facebook friends with me. I, I, I had to answer this question, who do I want to be? And this was one of my high values. I want to be somebody who's here with my kids. I want to be healthy for them, to be with them. I want to see them have my grandkids. And so for those of you who don't know, I mean, you look at me, you're like, oh, but Pastor Steve, you're so skinny. My, my family, we're genetic freaks. I have no other way to say it. We go to the, the, the doctors, and they look at us, and they're like, you're skinny, you're young, go home, you're fine, your heart is fine. And my dad has had many heart attacks. My brother almost had a heart attack, same age that I am, a couple years ago. You know, we have all these issues, and it's just genetic, right? And so I had to ask that question, what is my value? And, and so if you ask the question, do I feel like eating a donut or not be eating a donut, that's the wrong question, right? That is a difficult, difficult question to answer every time. Do I want to eat a donut or not eat a donut, right? But rather to make that switch and say, this is what I do. I don't eat donuts. This is what I do. I go to the park, and I pray every day. Brothers and sisters, you already know how to do this. If you go to school, if you go to work, you already know how to do this. A switch has went off in your mind that says, I go to work, I go to school. That's just what you do, right? You didn't know you made that decision, but you did at some point. Some of you guys, kids, are like, I never made that decision. My parents make me go to school, right? 
And for some of you, it is agony. And it does feel like a choice. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. You know, and your parents are like dragging you out of bed. How is that going for you? Not so well, right? Because you have to make that decision every morning. Do I want to go to school? Should I go to school? Will my parents kill me if I don't go to school? (laughs) Rather than a switch goes off within you and you say to yourself, I go to school. That's what I do. Why? Because my values are that I want to learn. I know that I learn. Right? Now, brothers and sisters, this is the last point. Um, I mean, we could go on and on. This is going to be a very cursory thing. But maybe, you know, more in the coming weeks, we can expound on some of these things. Um, the third point I want to make, last point, don't ever expect perfection in your goals or in your practice. This is what kills us. This is what kills us from even starting, is thinking that we have to be perfect, right? Um, so uh, I just want to go back to this passage right here. I, I, I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say here. He wants you to think about and do certain things. Whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Did you notice, brothers and sisters? He doesn't say whatever is perfect. Now, I know maybe this is semantics, but I think when you try to be perfect, you're setting yourself up for failure. Remember, I was talking about seeing those values in human beings. And what you know about human beings and what I know about human beings is human beings are never perfect. Never, never, ever. Do you think Paul was perfect? Right. So maybe some of you, you kind of bristled when you heard Paul say, uh, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, you're like, Paul, who are you? To set yourself up as a role model for people, right? You're not perfect. And he's like, of course I'm not. Of course I'm not. I already know that. You know that too. He says, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If there's any good, glean the good. Get rid of the bad, right? Ignore the bad, right? You're never going to find perfect people. You're never going to find a perfect practice. And for many of us, we're waiting for the perfect practice. We're waiting for the perfect person to emulate or to teach us. And you're going to be waiting forever. You're never going to find that person. Right? A lot of the practices we do, oftentimes people will ask, well, Pastor Steve, how do I know it works? So I don't know. You won't know either until you do it. All I know is this. I tried it and it worked for me. This is why I try to teach people contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is very difficult. Not everyone is ready for it. But you won't know until you try. Right? You won't know until you do it. I know I use the word try. (laughs) You won't know until you do it. You won't. You won't. You won't. And brothers and sisters, why are we so obsessed with perfection? I think it gives us an excuse, to be honest. It gives us an excuse to not do difficult things. And it gives us an excuse to, uh, to, to try to shy away from that thing that's so painful, which is failure. Brothers and sisters, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. The only mistake you can really, really make is to do nothing. That's the only mistake you can really make. To just let life take you, to take, let this world take you and blow you down the stream of wherever life is taking you, of wherever your nervous system is taking you, wherever anxiety is taking you, wherever fear is taking you, whatever things that you're doing. Brothers and sisters, and to be honest, like a lot of us, we talk about procrastination, But how many of us are procrastinating 
because we're not living wholeheartedly. If you were actually living into your values and doing stuff that mattered, I don't think you would be procrastinating as much. I don't think you would need to hide into something that, by the way, when you procrastinate, it's almost always half-hearted. There's nothing wrong with playing video games. There's nothing wrong with eating cheesecake. But this is usually what really gets you is when you do that and you're like, I'm not supposed to do it, right? You're doing it half-heartedly. You're even procrastinating half-heartedly, right? You're not fully doing it. When you're watching TV, watch TV. When you play a video game, play a video game. Don't apologize for that. Just do it. Now, that's going to form you. That's going to shape you, right? That, that many people, you know, you, you could practice playing video games and that's going to form you in a certain way. Do it with eyes wide open. But whatever you do, brothers and sisters, hopefully we will get to a place where we see what is good, what is true, what is honorable, right? The things that are actually worth doing. But whatever you do, do it. Do it, right? And, and don't worry about doing perfectly because I promise you, you won't. You won't. But if it's good, it'll get you further down the line, right? You'll grow. You'll learn. You'll make mistakes, and you'll learn from those mistakes too. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, I'm going to ask uh, Jason to come up here. and I, I just want to give some time for this message to breathe. I know there was a lot that I just kind of threw at you. Um, but let's just take a moment to just in silence just receive. Maybe there's just one thing that God wants to communicate to you today. Maybe there's just one thing that you heard from this message. I know it just sounds like uh, very practical stuff, but that's what I told you we were going to do. <laughs> God wants us to live into our values, brothers and sisters. He wants you to be like Christ. There are way too many people in this world who are not living in their values. There are way too many people in this world who are living half-heartedly, who are just barely there. They're, they're, they're not even awake or aware. They're just always reacting to life, right? They're living scared, they're, they're living, they're running, and maybe that's been you. Brothers and sisters, there's no condemnation here. In the kingdom of God is pure forgiveness and love and acceptance. You are accepted as you are. You are a child of God, but in being a child of God, you can choose differently. And the first choice you have is to look. What is the kind of person... Do you want to love like Jesus? Do you want to have joy like Jesus? Do you want to have hope like Jesus? Do you want to have peace like Jesus? Do you want to have freedom like Jesus? Pray that you Pray that you God can help you to walk in that direction. Not perfect, but one step, one practice at a time. God, I just pray for all my brothers and sisters. Give us greater vision to see who we can be in your kingdom. God, I pray that you give us the boldness to start to practice, to start to become the kinds of people who learn and do and commit. God, we may not do it perfectly, God, but we thank you, God, that we know you are with us every step of the way. And when we fail, because we will, we know your forgiveness is there as well. Thank you, God. It's such a beautiful cycle that we live in. We try, we do, we fail, we're forgiven, we get back up. Thank you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.